35 years ago, the top hits in popular music included Every Breath You Take by The Police, remember that, Toto's Africa, something we all heard a lot of last summer, Total Eclipse of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler, several tunes, of course, by Michael Jackson, and, of course, everyone's favorite, Lawyers in Love by Jackson Brown. All this was before auto-tune and overproduced albums, so we all heard the imperfections of the singers and the musicians. Sometimes they were obviously searching for the notes or the pitch. Sometimes they were obviously searching for the words or the lyrics, all in front of the waiting microphone and unforgiving analog recorder. Sometimes they were searching for something more, however, something deeper. And that was also obvious to anyone who listened with an attentive ear. In 1983, there were multiple hits from a group called Styx, including the forgettable Mr. Roboto and already forgotten Don't Let It End. Styx has the rare distinction of having top ten singles in three different decades, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. One of their hits is a song written out of a crisis of faith. Listen to the words. Every night I say a prayer in the hope that there's a heaven. But every day I'm more confused as the saints turn into sinners. All the heroes and legends I knew as a child have fallen to idols of clay. And I feel this empty place inside, so afraid that I've lost my faith. Show me the way. Show me the way. Take me tonight to the river and wash my illusions away. Please show me the way. And as I slowly drift to sleep, for a moment dreams are sacred. I close my eyes and I know there's peace in a world so filled with hatred. Then I wake up each morning and turn on the news to find we've so far to go. And I keep on hoping for a sign, so afraid I just won't know. Show me the way, show me the way. Bring me tonight to the mountain and take my confusion away. And show me the way. <laughs> All this came to mind the other morning as I listened to today's hop hit, top hits while in the shower. The words of two songs played back-to-back -back struck me very deeply. One is a song that's been in the top ten list for the past eight weeks. It's titled God's Plan, from the rapper Drake. Listen to some of the words. Now, there are a couple words that aren't G-rated, so I had to take those out. Listen. Bad things. It's a lot of bad things that they wishin' and wishin' and wishin' and wishin'. They wishin' on me. God's plan. God's plan. I can't do this on my own, eh? No, eh? Someone watching this stuff close, eh? Yep. 
I've been, I've been me since Scarlet Road, eh, Road, eh. I might go down as G-O-D, yeah, wait. I, ho- I go hard on South Side G, uh, wait. I make sure that North Side eat and still bad things. It's a lot of bad things that they wishin' and wishin' and wishin' and wishin'. They wishin' on me. Now, those who are familiar with the rapper Drake say that the central drama of his art is not a crisis of faith. It's about the crisis of living in the manner God wants in in a world filled with contrary values and competing voices. He's asking how to live God's plan where everywhere he turns, he encounters bad things, bad things that they wishin' and wishin' and wishin' and wishin' on me. Now, also on the charts these days is a single from the movie Black Panther. It's called Pray For Me by Kendrick Lamar. I know a lot of you have seen the movie Black Panther. Talk about an existential crisis in this song. The singer is searching for something beyond himself to ease the pain in his soul. Listen. Tell me who's going to save me from myself when this life is all I know. Tell me who's going to save me from this hell without you I'm all alone. Who's going to pray for me? Who Take my pain from me. Save my soul from me. Because I'm alone, you see. Kendrick Lamar, Drake, they could easily join Sticks in singing Show Me the Way. And they're not alone. The world is screaming for redemption. It's in the news, the tweets, the posts, the blogs. It's in the movies and the songs. It's everywhere we look and everywhere we listen. Pain, fear, loneliness, stress. The world is overwhelmed and it's searching, looking, seeking, seeking, reaching. 35 years ago, tomorrow morning, I walked down the aisle of St. Patrick Cathedral in Harrisburg. After hearing biblical lessons from God's word, I lay prostrate face down on the cold marble floor of the cathedral. It was cold. As the congregation sang the litany of the saints, seeking heavenly intercession for the seven of us who were to be ordained priests that morning. That simple act of death to self and immersion into the priesthood of Jesus Christ meant that when I rose from that floor and walked to the bishop, it was a new life. The bishop, following the ancient rite of the church by prayer and the laying on of hands, ordained me a priest, and then anointed the palms of my hands with chrism, as prophets and kings and priests had been done for generations, then handed me the bread and wine to be offered as Jesus had commanded. He received my promises to pray five times every day for the church, to remain chaste and celibate throughout life as a sign of the total sufficiency of God's grace and to live simply in order to be freed from worldly conflicts that would tug against the call to serve. And then at the end of that Mass, he sent me forth to Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish in Lancaster and to a pastor who was a bit of a curmudgeon, but a whole lot of wise and holy priests. I went scared to death 
and still not entirely convinced that I should be a priest into a world searching and hungering no less than it is today, a world looking for Jesus Christ. In truth, I was still questioning some of my own beliefs. And after four years of graduate school in theology and biblical studies, I realized I had barely scratched the surface of all I needed or wanted to know. I wasn't totally convinced I wanted to be a priest. Through my years at Messiah College, I studied chemistry and biology, knowing in my heart I would be a cardiologist. And even through those years of seminary and in the first years of priesthood, I constantly thought of going back to medical school to be the cardiologist I always wanted to be. But in truth, it was at Messiah College, in the chapel experiences more than anything, where I heard God's voice calling me to serve, but not in the way I anticipated. I was convinced God wanted me to be a priest, even if I wasn't sure. And if I didn't completely understand that calling, I still trusted and forged ahead. During my first week, in my first assignment as a priest, the doorbell rang after the office was closed, and I answered it. A man said, I'd like to speak with a priest. I responded quickly, sure, wait here, I'll get one. (laughs) As I turned away, I realized, oh, I am one. But to save face, I went to the pastor, and I said, oh, there's a man at the door who wants to speak with the pastor. (laughs) The pastor was an old-fashioned priest who had served in the bishop's office for 19 years, four months, and three days, a fact he repeated often enough that I have it memorized. There were three priests in the house, and the pastor insisted that we dress in black suit and collar, or cassock for dinner, and be at dinner at least four nights a week. We had a cook, unheard of today, in rectories. At dinner, the pastor, being the formal man that he was, rang a little bell at the end of each course, and the cook appeared from the kitchen with the serving cart for the next course. This was all fine and good until the longtime cook retired. After a few days, the new cook responded to the bell by storming into the dining room, yanking it from the pastor's hand and saying, if you ring that infernal bell one more time, I swear, I'll cut off your hand with a butcher knife. (laughs) For a moment, I watched the standoff. It was better than any Hollywood drama. Time stood still, and I thought I heard that theme music you always hear in bad westerns when there's a shootout about to occur. The pastor thought it through in that twinkle of time. She was by far the best imaginable cook. And when faced with a choice between the bell or the cook, the bell went. The cook won. I lived on the third floor of the rectory. In Lancaster, the pastor lived on the second floor. Every young priest who lived there quickly learned that the second floor landing on the stairway was the most dangerous piece of real estate on the planet. It seemed every single time I walked up or down those steps, even if I took off my shoes and tiptoed, the pastor always knew when I hit that second floor landing 
and in his nasally voice yelled out, Father. I would be called into his office, and he always had more work for me to do. The pastor insisted that all three of us come together in his sitting room for the 11 o'clock news every night. It was during the first commercial of the news that we decided which priest was going to say which mass the next morning. I quickly learned that if I ever missed the 11 o'clock news, I would invariably invariably have the 6 a.m. mass the next day. Well, after two years, one month, and two days, I was transferred into the bishop's office. The pastor knew that was coming. In fact, I learned later that as a newly ordained priest, I was supposed to have been assigned to St. Joseph's Parish in Mechanicsburg. But two days before the ordination, Bishop Daly changed his mind. He called the pastor in Lancaster to say, you have Bill for two years and then he's mine. I want him in my office, and since you spent 19 years, four months, and three days in the office, you can get him ready, but just don't tell him. I understood when I learned that why he had been so much of a den mother to me. During my 28 years in the bishop's office, I was mostly a resident priest in parishes, so I was transferred often whenever a hole needed to be plugged somewhere. In the first 14 years of priesthood, I moved 15 times. The average time I spent in any parish during those 28 years was about 15 months. The shortest was six months. The longest was just under two years. Add to that two more years in graduate school in Washington, D.C., three more in Rome, law school after that, and a few years working in Atlanta, and that's a training ground for loneliness aloofness, self-reliance, and a fear of making attachments with people. In at least two assignments, I didn't even bother unpacking. I lived out of cardboard boxes thinking I wouldn't be staying long, so why bother unpacking? Repeatedly, my heart was broken as I left parish after parish without really knowing anyone, constantly looking at pews filled with people I didn't know, and who didn't know me. All I can say is, thank God I'm here. For a priest, the parish is his family. I have come to know you, to love you, to cherish your friendships, and through you, I'm beginning to learn to allow you to love me. And that's not easy for an only child who never stayed in one place very long. I know what it is now to care for people, truly care for people as a priest, to do things not out of obligation but out of love because I want to spend time. I want to love you. I want to see how God is at work in your life. This is a wonderful parish, a parish filled with saints. You know that. And when our dear father Waldron died in 2011, I went next door to... Bishop McFadden's office, I sat down, I looked him in the eye, and I said with a somber and serious tone, Bishop, if you dare appoint anyone else pastor of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish, I will kill you. (laughs) For the record, I had nothing to do with his untimely death two years later. (laughs) 
For that first year as pastor here, I was still full-time as vicar general in the diocese. Three times during that year, I asked Bishop McFadden if I could leave that job and become full-time pastor. He said no. Or more aptly, he just shook his head. Finally, I sat in his office and said, Bishop, in the immortal words of Elvis Presley, please release me, let me go. (laughs) A few days later, he said, well, I've been thinking and praying about it, Bill. It's time you be full-time pastor. Yay. (laughs) A few months ago, I hosted a group of priests here in our rectory to discuss priestly life. As we began, I asked each of us to write down on a little slip of paper, in one word, our deepest feeling about priesthood and ministry. Every single one of us around that table wrote the same word, inadequate. The demands are great. The demands can't always be balanced well. The calendar always wants to consume more than the mind and body and soul can give. But through it all, it's the grace of God alone that carries the day. I recall also that humbling feeling of inadequacy when, as a newly ordained priest, I greeted people years and decades older than me, amazed that they called me Father. Twenty-five years old in my first assignment, By the way, the bishop had to get permission from Rome to ordain me since 26 is the minimum age. I've come since then to recognize that everyone, everyone is looking for the Father. The Father who will love them into wholeness, heal their brokenness, fill their inadequacy. And I am thrilled to represent the one true and heavenly Father and to borrow that title from him for just a few decades in this life, hopefully to return it to him unsoiled. Top ten songs from the earliest days of my priesthood until now reveal a bit of that universal search for the Father the hungers and fears of the human heart, the loneliness that invades us all, the isolation of struggling to be a Christian in the world. Listen to the song of your own heart and you'll hear exactly the same. I entered priesthood uncertain, fearful, questioning whether it was right for me. Thirty-five years later, I stand before you and God and say, I am totally convinced of my calling and thrilled beyond measure to see God at work every day in the lives of his people. It's what I live for, to see what God has in store today. We can be frightened and discouraged by the truth that the hungers and terrors of the human heart have not changed in 35 years. And guess what? They haven't changed since the Garden of Eden. Or we can see in that truth the reminder of why we're all here and the work that the Lord has has for us to do. We can focus on the hunger or the one who feeds us, the fear or the one who saves us, the problems of the world or the one who redeems them all in his love. Another singer-composer, Tom Schultz of the classic rock band Boston, 
also put the perennial search into song. After almost losing his battle to drugs and alcohol, Tom tells a story in song that he told so often in his recovery, reaching out and finding strength in his higher power. So let's encourage one another in the truth that Tom Schultz sang about in the song by Boston, Higher Power. Here are the words. Hey, my higher power, yeah, give me the power. Let me love you. Take me home to your religion for the night. Let me touch you. Teach me how to see your vision through my eyes. Turn the pages. Tell my story. Let me face another day. Safe embraces. I feel it coming now. My captain's on the way. Let me hold you. Take me back into the secrets of my mind. Let me know you. Come and save me, Lord. Don't let me cross the line. Hey, my higher power, the world is spinning, but I'm not afraid. Yea, my higher power, it's the beginning of another day. I'm not afraid, and neither should you be. Oh, to be sure, there are a lot of bad things, bad things in our world. There always have been. But you and I can answer the question, who gonna pray for me, take my pain for me, save my soul for me? The apostles had locked themselves in the upper room out of fear. Jesus came to them through the cross and from the empty tomb, his first words being, peace be with you. Well, Billy Joel once sang a song that in every heart there is a room, a sanctuary safe and strong where we hide our hurts and our fears and lock them away. That's our upper room. Although there's much in our world to cause us fear and anxiety, we know Jesus walks into our upper room where we have locked away our hurts, our fears, and our anxieties. He walks into that upper room and boldly, quietly proclaims, Peace be with you. So that you and I, together with Thomas, can look confidently to the Lord and say, my Lord and my God, show me the way.